Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, my name is Bobby Smith. I am the lead pastor here, and I get the privilege of starting my new favorite series, and it's going to be a good one. Uh, Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about misconceptions. Uh, Misconceptions we have, things that we think are true that aren't true, things that we've been told maybe since the time we were little, maybe we learned it in Sunday school, maybe it was just something that somebody said, you know, years ago. Uh, Maybe it's what we think are what I think is called wives' tales. Anybody ever hear that term, wives' old wives' tales? It's kind of like this. Um, I I remember growing up, uh, and um, my grandfather would tell, he had a pool, and my grandfather would tell me this, this misconception, if you eat, you can't swim for... 30 minutes afterwards, because why? Because you're going to sink, right? Or you're going to get cramps or something. Uh, I've heard this one before. If you go outside with wet hair, you'll get a cold. Okay, so you guys have heard this one. Uh, this one's one of my favorites. If you cross your eyes too long, they'll stay that way. Anybody heard that one? Obviously not. A lot of you guys have straight eyes. That's good. I mean, we're in. Um, how about this one? Um, if you eat, I remember I was chewing a piece of gum. <laughs> Anybody get caught chewing gum in school? Now, when, when I grew up in school, you got your hand slapped with a ruler. Now they put a helmet on you or something. I don't know what they do. Um, sorry, did that hurt some feelings? I didn't mean to do that at Journey. Um, if you swallow that piece of gum, Mr. Smith, it's going to stay inside of you for seven years. Yuck. How about this one? If you swallow a watermelon seed, that you're going to grow a watermelon. Anybody ever hear that one? I didn't hear that one until I moved down here. And so um, we, we grew up in a little different family. We, we had seedless watermelon. So it was a whole thing. How about this? If you are a kid and you drink coffee, it'll stunt your That's not true. I'm 6'1". It didn't stunt my growth. We had actually a guy in, on our first, in our first service walk up to me. He goes, I never drank coffee. He was 6'8". So that's what I would have ended up if I didn't drink any, but you, you got 6'1". Oh, how about this one? If you pull out a gray hair, another one grows in this place. I am proof of that. Oh, I found out this one too. So you can tell the gender of a child by how much indigestion you have. Anybody hear that one? If it's got a lot of hair, um, you're going to, all that kind of stuff. This is the worst one. This is really a bad one. Um, Growing up in New Jersey, we had the beach real close to us. And so we literally lived about, anybody ever here, if you get stung by a jellyfish, what you do is to get rid of the sting. That's just gross. I don't know who came up with that one, whose idea it was, but that is just a poor, poor idea. And we can go on for hours, honestly. I was thinking about, there's a bunch of, if you sit too close to the TV, you know, you'll blind and all that. And obviously some of us have glasses on, so it's one of those deals. But how about, how about the real ones? How about the ones, the misconceptions we have of God? Or maybe the misconceptions we had or have that God said X because maybe a Sunday school teacher told us that or maybe a pastor said it and we've just taken it for granted that that that's true. And sometimes, I just want to tell you, not that it's we don't do it intentionally, but sometimes it's not true. Like a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about money and we know it's a misconception. The Bible says that money is the root of all evil, right? no. The misconception is that it's actually the love of money. It's when we desire that we treasure our treasures. That's when we have a problem with it. And and, and some people have, you know, you've probably heard this one. uh, Cleanliness is next to what? Godliness. You know, it's not in the Bible. And a lot of us are in real trouble if that's the truth, right? Or God helps those who can't help themselves. 
And that's the farthest thing from the truth. You know that? Um, God helps those who do help. Like we, there, there's a p- portion of them. And then the other end of the extreme is I've heard people say this, God helps those who help themselves. And that's the other part of it. God doesn't do that either. We, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So misconception. And we can go through the whole Bible. I, I, I had a conversation with a young man a couple of weeks ago, and he said, there's no way God can use me. No way God can use me until I clean up my life. That's a misconception. Uh, how many people were here for our last baptism? We baptized like 30 people. And one of the young men um, after service walked up to me and said, Pastor Bobby, can I talk to you for a second? He said, um, I was baptized years ago and I got rebaptized. I said, well, that's great. I, I'm glad you're at that place in your life. And he goes, well, I got kind of told a lie. I was told that if I get baptized, everything's going to be fine. Like all my sins are going to be gone. And I'm like, yes, yes. But don't we still, even after baptism, if you've been baptized, even after baptism, you still struggle with some of the same things you struggled with before? How about this one? And I've heard this one. I don't have any talent. God can never use me. I don't have anything to offer. That's the farthest thing. That's a misconception. This one we're going to deal with next week. This is a biggie, especially and even in church. It's a biggie. It's, it's that once I become a Christian, everything's going to be easy. How many people know that to be true? So I thought, people online are raising their hands. No, they're not. As a matter of fact, sometimes it seems like just the opposite. Now, I, I, yesterday, I had to do a funeral. It was just a, not that any funeral is good, but this one was just extremely difficult because it was a, a, just a horrible situation of how it ha- happened. And, and I was sitting there, and one of the lies that we have told ourselves, and we've said this before, is, and it's a misconception, is, it, it, and, and this, it, it just kind of, like, um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Did you ever hear that one? And see, I don't think that one's true either. I think it's God will never give you any more than he can handle. Because it's in our weaknesses, the Bible says, that we have become strong, not in our strengths that we become strong. Misconception. Today, what I want to deal with, it's something that I'll guarantee you, there's lots of people in this room, there's lots of people online, there's you know, people down at Sherwood that we've all dealt with this. Um, God can never use me because I messed up and that God would never give me a second chance. That's interesting. There's some things in our lives, right? I, I remember, uh, anybody play sports when they were in, in school? So I remember uh, I played soccer. I was a pretty good soccer player, and I had a really good right foot. I can kick the ball really, really, really long way. And so our football team was really horrible, and so that's one of the reasons I played soccer. We were like 0-40 for 10, uh, four years in a row. Uh, and so, But they, they needed a kicker, and they had this tryout, and they said, hey, you're a soccer player. So they got some of our soccer players over there, and they said, hey, would you like to try to kick? And I'm saying, this is a piece of cake. You, it's, it's, I mean, I, could, I, I can put it in a goal that's half the size. of I can, I can do it from probably 50, 60, 70 yards. Like I, I got that good of a foot. And I remember I put it on the little, the little tee. And I, anybody, anybody a kicker? Anybody ever kick? kick before. So a couple, couple of y'all, right? So you do the backup thing. Cause I watched them do this on TV. They go. And so I'm, I got this. I, I got the look. I got the look. And so then I go to, the, I go to address the ball and I say, hello ball. How are you doing? And I, I go up to kick and I go and kick and I kick it off the inside of my foot and it goes about six feet. And all I hear is next. I'm like coach, give me another chance. Give me a mulligan. And he goes, next. One chance. That's all I got. And you want to know something? In our lives, there is areas of our lives that we only get one chance. You borrow money from a friend and don't pay it back, one chance. You borrow money from a bank, maybe for a loan for a house or something, one chance. Anybody in business? Anybody in business in the room? Anybody have a job? 
if you're in business and that your performance is based on maybe a sales or maybe it's a, a project and you screw that up, you get one chance to screw that up and you're probably trying to, they're going to find you another job. I thought about this this morning. I have one chance to speak this message at 1030. I have one chance. Now, I got three chances today, but right now I got one chance. And I'm telling you, it better be good or some of you are going to go like, <laughs> no, nobody would ever do that here, right? Right? This whole side over here is like, whatever. Now, here's the deal. There's, there's some things in our lives we only get one chance, but that's not the way of God. That's not the, the way God works things. God does it actually quite a bit different than that. God is not only God of second chances, I want you to hear this. He's a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. How many people have already gone through the first and second chances? And now we're on the third and fourth chances. Aren't you glad that that's the way God works, that he doesn't like this big, you know, this big like God up in heaven that just goes, done, next, next. Like he's not like my coach. As a matter of fact, scripture over and over again says things like this. Psalms 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. That's the God that we serve. It's a God of another chance. Micah 7, 18. Where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing, I love this, unfailing love. That even when we've messed up, he shows us and demonstrates his love for us. Isaiah chapter 43 says it like this. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for your own sake and will never, I love this, think of them again. One passage of scripture that he says, he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. There's another one that says it's pure as undriven, like it's, it's pure as snow. And that's the God that we serve. It's not a God of just second chance. It's God of another chance and another chance at times. And that's so cool. And today we're going to look at an example of this in scripture. Last week we looked and finished up Ruth. We're just going to take um, a book of the Bible and we're going to do it all in one day. It's the book of Jonah. Anybody ever hear the story of Jonah? It's a brilliant story. Anybody? Anybody ever been to church before? And there's these little felt, you know, they do these felt board. We're not going to do a felt board today, but I was thinking about like the old felt boards. If you grew up in church, they did the felt boards with Jonah and all that. Some of you are smiling because you know I'm telling the truth. Let me give you the first two chapters. I'm going to sum up real fast, okay? So Jonah is a, is a, is a prophet of God, and he's a preacher. And so what he gets told by God, the Holy Spirit comes to him, and God tells him, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. Nineveh was bad news. Like, it was like the worst of the worst. It was like the worst city you can think of in the United States or maybe in another third world country. It was bad. And so he goes, I want to go. To and he goes, I don't want to go to Nineveh. So what I'm going to do, and it's not like just like, uh, I want you to go to Evans, and you end up going to Martinez. It's the exact opposite direction he goes. He goes, I want you to go to Nineveh, and he goes to Tarshish instead, which Tarshish was kind of like a luxury resort. Like people were nice there, and, you know, they had beaches, and they had little drinks with little, you know, little things in them and all that. kind. It was a great place to hang out. So he goes, I'm gonna, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. So he gets on a boat, and he's on his way to Tarshish, and he gets about halfway right in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden a storm comes up, and it's banging the boat back and forth. And they're sitting in the boat and they're arguing. And, and this is how they work. Like, who, who made their God mad on this boat? And that's why the storm is. And Jonah's sitting there going, could you imagine this? He's going, I mean, he literally goes, it, it, it's me. Sorry, my bad. And they cast lots and they do all that kind of stuff. Well, finally, the boat's getting worse. It's going back and back. And they think it's, you know, everybody's going to drown on the boat. And Jonah, this is Jonah's bright idea. Jonah recommends, throw me overboard. 
Now, everybody was thinking this is the end of Jonah at this point, right? Like you throw him overboard, that's the end of him. Well, all of a sudden he gets thrown overboard and by God's grace, by God's grace, a big fish. You may have called it a whale growing up. They may show a little, you know, a little felt gram thing, whatever, but it was a big fish. We don't know exactly what it was. It's not told about in the Bible, but it's a big fish. Swallows him up. And you're thinking, wow, what great luck that is. And I'm thinking, in the fish's belly has got to be the nastiest place to spend the next three days. So for three days, he's in this, well, I'm going to call it a whale, but a big fish's belly. He's in this big fish's belly, right? For three days. Then all of a sudden, he has this encounter with God in the belly of this fish, and he repents of all his sin. And he goes, I'm sorry for going to Tarshish, God. If you want me to go to Nineveh, you provide a way for me to go to Nineveh. And the next thing he knows, he's being thrown up on the beach. Now imagine what he looks like after three days of being in the acid of the fish's belly. He looks like a ghost and probably stinks a little bit, right? He preaches on this, on, on, on this, on this, on this, on this island and everybody gets, of course they get saved. They just saw somebody get thrown up by a fish. That's chapter one and two. Chapter three, there's this line. And every time I read it, I think about how many times when God's told me to go to Nineveh, I've went to Tarshish. And it says this, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Y'all see that? He gave him another chance. He, he, he said, you know something? You messed it up the first time, but this time I'm gonna make sure you get it right. I'm gonna put you right where I wanna put you and I'm gonna give you an opportunity. This demonstrates once again that God is a God of second chances and the misconception that God can only use us this one time and if we ever fail, that he'll never use again is the farthest thing from the truth. As we're going to look at in a minute, the Bible is filled with people that have failed over and over again, and God still used them somehow or another. See, God demonstrates his love for us, even when we're far from him. I was thinking about this. Sometimes we have a hard time, and in the church, we're a little scared to talk about sin because we're afraid that some people will leave church. I'm going to talk about sin for a second. Do you know what sin is? It's what Jonah did. Jonah was told to go one direction. He was disobedient and he went the other direction. That's what sin is. When we know that God's calling us to go this way and we purposely and intentionally go this other way, that's sin. And in our lives, it happens all the time. But even in the sin of Jonah, God still demonstrated his grace. God still gave him a second chance and probably a third chance as we're gonna see a little bit in a few minutes. Now, here's the first thing I want us all to get because this is really, really, really important. Because your boss may not give you a, a second chance, right? Your, your coach might say, next. Some of us in the room, your spouse will never give you a second chance. But I'm going to tell you that God will. Regardless of how far you've walked away, God will give you a, a second chance if you turn to him. So the first thing is this. I want you to write this down. Failure, failure doesn't change God's plans. When we fail, it doesn't change God's plans. It may change the timing. It may change who he uses, but it doesn't change God's plans. God's plans are still God's plans. And I love what he says in John, uh, Jonah chapter three, verse one. He says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now watch this. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. He literally tells him the same thing he told him in chapter one. So in chapter one, he said, go to, the, go to Nineveh and deliver the message I want you. In chapter three, just two chapters later, this is after the belly of the whale situation, all that. He says, I'm gonna give you a second chance. God told him to do the exact same thing. 
Now here's what I'm, and I, it's taken me a while to figure this out. It's taken me a while to learn. God is always ready to put his plan back into effect when we come back to him. The, the, the plan doesn't change. Go, go th- read through the Bible a little bit. Uh, I was thinking about Abraham. Anybody ever hear of Abraham? God, God makes him a promise. He goes, your seed is going to be as plentiful as the stars of the sky. And you know what he does? He wants his wife to have an affair with somebody to make it happen. And then he's not satisfied with that. And he has a relationship with a woman named Hagar and has a child named Ishmael. It was not God's plan. But what? God still used him. He eventually had Isaac. He, he was told to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac became a great nation, uh, uh, you know, under his leadership. God still used Abraham in the midst of his, his sin and his problems and his struggles. How about Moses? Anybody ever hear a guy named Moses? And we just think, man, lifted his staff up, separated the right. Do you know that he murdered somebody? He was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian soldier because he was beating an Israelite. But God still used him, didn't he? Even after he slammed the rock down, uh, the staff on the rock, God still used him. How about King David? We sang a song. I called her the God of David. Which one? The one that had the affair with Bathsheba? Is that who we're calling? It got quiet real quick, didn't it? I mean, we forget sometimes that he had an affair with a person. Then he had Uriah killed on the front line. Then the child died. The blood of three people were on his head. And then we hear he's a man after God's own heart. He writes a lot, a large portion of the Psalms. And my favorite, the 23rd Psalm. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Whew. 51st Psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. Cast me not from your presence. God still used him. Even in the midst of the fact, you think you can keep on going. Uh, Jacob, you know what Jacob was? A cheater. He cheated people. How about the woman that was caught by the religious leaders? She was a, she was a prostitute. Here are all these people. She, she, was, she, was, she was an adulterer. She was sitting there, and God said, go and sit no more. God still used her. As a matter of fact, lots of theologians think that she was literally one of the people of the few that were at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Could you imagine that? How about the woman that got caught in the, at the well? And Jesus is having this conversation and says, well, you've got seven. Actually, if I count them right, one, two, three, four, six. And by the way, the one you're sleeping with, right, the one you're hooking up with right now is not your husband either. And he goes, go back and tell your, tell your family. She goes to back, you know, the, the, the city she's from, and she says, come and see the man that knows all my stuff, the one that can change my, God still used. How about Rahab? Rahab was a prostitute. How about the disciples? How about the disciples? Think about it for a second. We have this beautiful picture of them taking the Last Supper, which is going to happen in a couple of weeks. But you know, every one of them abandoned Jesus. Every one of them walked away from him. And how about Paul? We forget that Paul was a murderer of people like us. But God still used him. God has big plans, regardless of our mistakes. If we'll reconnect with him, if we'll turn it back over to him, he'll put those things back into place. He'll put them right back where they were. I like what Reverend Mark uh, Plumer says, he says, if God can bring about the savior of the world through a family tree checkered with prostitution, murder, and lies, then imagine what he may do through yours. Isn't that powerful? You may try to run from God, but I'm going to tell you what, you can't outrun God's plan for your life. You are not that good of a runner to run away from God. Here's the second thing, and this is, 
Such a good truth. Failure doesn't change God's power. His power doesn't change because you've made a a mistake, because you've walked away, because you've had an affair, because you have an addiction. His power is still the same. His power is his power. Verse three says, this time, Jonah obeyed the Lord, commanded and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. They repented, they turned away. The very thing that God wanted to happen, happened right there. But it, it could have failed. If, if, if God's power was limited to what Jonah's, Jonah's life was about or his mistakes, it could have never happened, but it's not limited to Jonah. As a matter of fact, God's power has nothing to do with the person. It has to do with the, the power that he's put. You know what I was thinking about? One of my favorite characters in the Bible, and, and, and some of you relate to this. I love, I love the character Peter. Peter's probably, outside of Jesus, one of my favorite characters. You know why? Because it reminds me of me. He's a mess up. He's a screw up. He says things that he shouldn't say. Now, you remember this, this little dialogue he had? Jesus is sitting there, and he goes, he goes listen, before the cock uh, crows or the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And you remember what, what, what he say? No, nope, I'll never do it. Not me. Maybe, maybe Judas will do it. Maybe Bartholomew will maybe do it. Maybe, maybe Timothy, somebody, somebody, but not me. Like, do you know what you got when you got me? That's what Peter's saying. You got somebody who's going to be faithful to the end. And then one day leads to another. And then all of a sudden, could you imagine that dialogue when Jesus is being, you know, getting ready to be executed and they catch eyes, Peter catches eyes, and, and one of the soldiers goes, hey, I saw you with him. And then what does he say? I don't know who he is. And another said, no, 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 no. You, you were with that. As a matter of fact, you were one of the guys that was preaching. No, 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 you, you must say somebody else. And then the third time, like another soldier goes, oh, no, you, you get over here. You, I saw you. And then, no, 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 no. And in Luke chapter 22, imagine how this plays out in verse 61. It says, at that moment, gosh, the Lord looked at Peter. Could you imagine that look right there? Could you imagine the extreme sorrow he has? Suddenly the Lord's word flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. The Bible says that he went out and wept bitterly. He literally committed one of the worst things we can do. He denied Christ. One of the most unimaginable things we could possibly do. But then there was a moment right after that. Y'all remember the moment where he's reinstated? Jesus walks up to him. There's great sorrow in Peter. And he goes, do you love me? He says, God, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. And he goes, do you you love me? Really, do you really, really love me? Theologians think he asked him three times because he denied him three times. Every time he asked him, do you love me? And it was three different words, phileo, bosco, and then phileo again. He said, do you really, really, really love me? At the end of the third time, I love the dialogue. Jesus goes, who do you think I am? Who do people say I am? Oh, you, they, they think you're a prophet. They think you're, you know, one of the, the prophets reincarnated. Okay, who do you think I am, Peter? He goes, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And he goes, that was not revealed to you by man. It was re- revealed to you by, and because of that, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The failure of our past does not dictate the success of our future. 
God's power is still God's power. God's plan for our life is still God's plan if we'll re-engage in what God's called us to do. Over and over again, we see in Scripture, that's exactly what happens. Just because I fail. Thank you, Jesus. Just because I fail. It doesn't limit what God wants to do through my life. I just got to get back on track. Please, somebody say amen to that right there. All right, the last thing is this. Failure doesn't change God's promises. I want to remind you what the promise was. If Nineveh would repent, he would save them, right? That was the message in chapter one. It's the message in chapter three. This is what happens. Nineveh's a sinful city that God was ready to destroy, but he's willing to give them another chance. This is what he says in verse six. When the king of Nineveh heard that Jonah was, what, what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and he sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and the nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat and drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell, perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Watch this, verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. You know why? Because Jonah's mistakes, his sin, didn't limit the promises that were already there. I was thinking about this today. Second Chronicles says this. You guys know this, some of you know if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. And what's the promise there? He'll hear their name. And I think the church, we've been going about this all wrong about this whole repentance thing. We've been waiting for unchristian people to act like Christian people when Christian people can't act like Christian people. Did that hurt a feeling or two? We want the world that doesn't know Jesus to act like a Jesus follower. And that's just not the way it is. And I think somehow or another, God is waiting for his church to repent. He's waiting for his church to go, you know something? It's us that's failed. We have failed the world. We have failed Christ and what he wants us to do. Now, the promise is this. If we come back, just like they did in Nineveh, if they come back, a revival will break out. The problem is he's waiting for us to humble ourselves, to bend the knee and say, Christ, we need you in our life. We need you in our churches. We, I've said this before. If I hear another person say, and I know I've got friends in this room right now that are educators. I have friends say, listen, if we can just get the Ten Commandments back in school, I'd like to see the Ten Commandments back in our families first. I'd like to see them in our houses. I'd like to see our Bible studies happen in our houses, not in our schools. What would happen if we had revival fires happening in our home? What would happen? How would God do? Would what, you know, what, how would, what would, and you know the funny thing about this, the irony of the whole story is God, in fact, because of the repentance of Nineveh, blesses them. You know who gets mad? Jonah. Jonah gets mad that God did exactly what he was saying. Jonah had no problem when he needed a second chance, but he had a big problem when Nineveh needed a second chance. And you know what that's like? It's like us. I can't tell you the amount of times I have shared a story about this person over here, this person over here. Years ago, we had a we had, a, uh, we had Saturday night services, and Saturday night services, we had this lady that was coming for a long time. And she's ended up moving to another town, but she used to sit right back in that back corner back there. And I remember walking up to her one day, and I was, I was amazed because the president of the Medical College of Georgia was sitting back there too. And right next to him was um, 
She liked to dance with very little clothing on. Uh, there's kids here. I'm trying to be nice. And the irony was, I don't remember somebody walking up to me. How can we let somebody in our church just like that? And I said, where else do you want them to go? Where else are they going to hear the dangerous message of how Jesus can change their lives if they're not sitting in the church hearing the dangerous message of how he can change their lives? She's not learning it down at the, the club. She's not learning it with her friends. She's learning it here. And you know what happens in our lives? Sometimes we forget especially if we've been believers for a long time, we forget where we've come from and the depth of sin we were in. And we almost become as self-righteous as Jonah. But we think, how dare you, God? How dare you? How dare you bring revival to Nineveh? What would happen if that changed in our, in our world? What, 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 what if we allowed people, all types of people, I mean, people that don't agree with us when it comes to politics or maybe it comes to maybe social issues, if we let them come here and hear the dangerous message of Jesus and allow Jesus to change their lives, not you, not me, allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does best and change their lives. What would happen in our communities? So that's the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is a story of a God who gives second chances. I I wrote down a couple things because there's a couple things that I really want us to note, and then we'll close right here. There are a number of lessons that we can learn from the story of Jonah. Here's the first one. If you try to run from God, you're likely to end up in the belly of the whale or another stinky situation. We good on that one? Well, we say sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, keep you there longer than you're willing to stay. That's what sin does. Second thing it is, if you run from God, he'll do whatever it takes to get you back, and you may not like the way he gets you back. That's me. If you run from God, that doesn't mean, and I love this one, that God is not finished. God is not finished with you. As a matter of fact, I say this a lot. It's kind of, you're working on your testimony. Work on your testimony, get it right, and start telling the world about it. And the last thing is this. This whole story is about his radical grace. His radical grace. The definition of grace is unmerited favor. Something I don't deserve, but I get it anyway. If I got what I deserved, I would be going to hell. Now, I love, and it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and it's a story that happens on the Christmas, um, the Easter um, scenario. And I want you to go back with me for a second, because I think this story, as good as any of them, demonstrates what radical grace looks like. And Jesus is in front of these religious leaders, and they're yelling, crucify him. You remember that scene? And they go, we give you one, we're going to give one back. That was the way they did. That was the culture. And they're yelling the name Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Fast forward a little bit. They're beating Jesus. He's on the road to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They hang him on a tree. And this is where he yells out, in Aramaic, he yells out, Aloy, Aloy, Ramasabakna, which means, my, my dad, my dad, why have you forsaken me? Which I can't even imagine what was going on. But there's another conversation that we don't spend a lot of time talking about. There was this argument, the argument that was going on between the two people on the outside crosses. So we assume that they were both thieves. And they're arguing back and forth. And one of the thieves goes to the other thief. Do you know that we belong up here? 
we deserve this. We deserve to be executed for our crimes. But the guy in the middle, he hasn't done anything wrong. He's an innocent victim. He, he, he doesn't deserve what he's getting. Now we know what happens after that. At some point during the course of the next few hours, all three of them die. Jesus is put in the tomb. Now, I don't know what heaven's gonna be like. I haven't been there yet. I can't write the book about what heaven's like the first seven minutes or anything, I don't know. I don't know if there's gonna be somebody waiting for us, you know, like, okay, yep. We know that there's a Lamb's book of life, the Bible says, and if your name's written in it, you get to go to heaven. And I can imagine that, you know, people are going through that are dying and Jesus walks through and he's, he's like, hey man, how you doing? It's, you're here, this is so cool. But then all of a sudden there's this guy Maybe he was on the right side of Jesus. And he stops at the little desk. I can envision, maybe this is, stops at the desk. And the guy behind the desk goes, what are you doing here? He goes, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He said, all I know is I was having this conversation with this guy on the cross. And I asked him to do one thing. I said, could you remember me? Remember, just remember me. And then all of a sudden the guy, I don't know who he is. The guy said, today you'll see me in paradise. He's he goes, well, what's your theology? He goes, I, I, don't, I don't have any theology. He said, well, what Sunday school class were you in? I, I, I've never been to a Sunday school class. Well, how about your baptism? You have your baptism certificate? I was never, I'm telling you, I was sitting there on the cross and I just asked him to remember me, just remember me. And he said, today I'll be, and I'm assuming this, I don't know how I got here. And they keep pressing and pressing and pressing. Well, it's, you're a Baptist, right? No, I'm nothing. A thief that was on the cross next to this guy in the center. See, that's radical grace. Because the thief didn't deserve to be there. He, he, he didn't deserve to be in heaven. He didn't do anything. It was, and so many times in repentance, we think it's what we do. Oh, I repented. Repentance is not the big thing. It's the radical grace is the big thing. It's the grace that Christ gives me when I don't deserve it. Why I'm far from him, why I'm still a sinner, why I'm still living and wallowing in all my problems and my issues. That's what's important. That's what's important right there. Here's this guy. He doesn't even know why he's up there, but he's up there because somehow or another in the moment he realized this guy in the center, there's something special about him. What would happen in our lives if we realized that the guy in the center there's something really special about him. That he was the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And while I probably have blown my first chance and my second chance and my third chance, God, I'm coming back. I need a fourth. I'm, I'm coming back again. See, that's the story of Jonah. I came to Jonah a second time. And he's come to Bobby and Ron and Robbie, a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. And he just wants us to turn it over to him. Would you do me a favor? I want you to stand up real quick. We're going to pray. If you would do me a favor, just, just bow your heads for a second, a moment just to respond to what the Holy Spirit's doing. I want everybody to know in this room, this isn't about eloquent words right now. This isn't about emotional stuff. This is about you just having a conversation with the Heavenly Father. And some of us in this room are having a conversation that goes something like, thank you, God, for the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chances. 
Some of the conversations are, God, I need another chance. I've messed up. And I envision what we see in the prodigal son where God, the father is opening his arms up right now and we're turning and facing his direction and he runs to us. That's what the story of the prodigal son says. That he's running to us. And so many of us in this room need the heavenly father right now to run to us and others in this room. Maybe it's the first time you realize what grace, and maybe you've tried to work for it, but maybe you've come to the point of your life where you have realized you have made a mess of your life. And today's a great day to just have a conversation with the heavenly father going, God, I need you to move in my life. So it's in this moment, God, I pray that you would be with, with all of us. Because in a room this size with people watching online and in all the other experiences, there's probably seven, 800, 900, 1,000 different messages being spoke today based on our circumstances and where we're at. So God, I pray that you would, you would address every situation, but most of all, that your name would be lifted high as the God, of God, uh, the God of second chance, the God that gives us another chance. And God, it's not just Jonah that we read about. It's character, character after character in the Bible that we see that come back to you. And so Jesus, right now we have our arms lifted wide open, wanting you to embrace us and love us and care about us. And we know that you will because that's the God you are, the God of radical mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or would like to talk with someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.